So uh, college football is back. Anybody excited about that? I am. So, um, and you may not know this about me, but I, I love sports, but I am particularly fond of the game of baseball. I just, I love it. I love everything about it. I like the smell of the grass and even the smell of the glove on my face. I just love it. I played in an old man baseball league, 30 and over, <clears throat> until I was about 38 years old. My son called it Little League for Old People, and, um, and it was fun. And one of the things that I love about sports in general, but baseball in particular, is oftentimes in the space of a game, there is a moment where a single person is going to be the key to victory or defeat. You either make the hit, you make the catch, or you don't. And I, I love that part of sports, that there is that moment, that, that have-to moment where one person, I know it's a team game, and we win as a team, we lose as a team, but I love that moment. And there's an expression for that moment. It's called one time for all the marbles. So you get the hit and you win and you get all the marbles or you don't get the hit and you get no marbles. One time for all the marbles. You know, it strikes me that Jesus did that for us. Jesus was the one man that stood between victory and defeat for us. One time for all the marbles, and we are the marbles. Your very soul is what Jesus was here to redeem. We have in Jesus a fully human and a fully divine being that is here for our redemption. He was the one, the only one that could win for God. So how did we as the human race find ourselves in this situation that there was only one man that could be the difference between victory and our being sinners forever? Well, you go back and you read the Old Testament, God made covenant after covenant after covenant with us, and we messed it up every single time. God held up his end, and we failed. It's as if in sending Jesus, God said, oh, fine, I'll just show you. God, come to earth. He is the one who can redeem us. Paul tells us something about this Jesus in his, his book to the church at Philippi. The second chapter, verses 5 through 11. So hear these words. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the word of God for the people of God. So in verses 6 through 8, Paul is making a claim about Jesus. He is saying that Jesus has come and he is God and he is human. He's making the claim that Jesus is both human and divine. And there's, there's something that is lost on us as the English reader. Because we only have one word for form. And it means lots of different things. We can have concrete forms. I can appear in a form of a human, which I, I guess I am. The, the Greeks, in what this was originally written, had two words that we translate as form. The first is morphe. And the second is schema. So um, can we pull up the first part of the Bible verse again? The word form is used three times in those first verses. And the first two, Paul is using the word morphe, which means um, the essence of the person something that's permanent, something that doesn't change. So in, in the first use, he's saying, Jesus is God. This is his basic essence. And then in the second use of the word form, Paul is also using morphe, which means that, that the essence of Jesus is that he is human. But the, the verb that he uses to describe Jesus' humanness gives the Greek reader an understanding that that is not always going to be the case. Morphe means it's the essence, but he's not always going to appear in human form. And in the third part where he, he's talking about how... Um, Jesus is being found in human for, form, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He uses the word schema, which is something that can change. So, morphe is the essence of who you are. So, Mike, my morphe is that I'm a human. Maybe I, part of my morphe is I talk too much, but nonetheless... That's the essence of me, right? I'm human. But my schema, I will move through. Like I can be a baby and I can be 
a young boy, I can be a man, I can grow old. And so Paul in this text is telling us that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. But he doesn't tell us how. Exactly how does that hold together? And Paul is raising in this text one of the controversies of the early church. I told you last week when we talked about the Trinity that many of the basic tenets of our faith have been worked out by our church fathers. That we can't find in the scriptures, we're looking for the 11th commandment, thou God is a Trinity, is a triune God. Same is true of the fully humanness and fully divineness of Jesus. And this was a controversy in the early church. There, there were people who just could not believe that God would climb into the womb of a woman and be born. There were people that couldn't understand how God could become human at all. There's some that went so far as to say that the deity of Jesus left him at the crucifixion, and it was just a human that was crucified, not God himself. There were people who just argued that a God cannot be born, period. And it really wasn't until about 451 at the Council of Chalcedon, in which the church fathers said, yes, indeed, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. He's both at the same time. They didn't explain it to us. It's one of the mysteries of our faith, of how Jesus can be both fully God and fully human. And in verse 7, we read that he was born, that he was born to a woman. And as I said, there were many that just couldn't really wrap their heads around the idea that a God could be born. But in 431, at the Council of Ephesus, the early church fathers agreed that Jesus had in fact been born, and that Mary was Theotokos, which means bearer of God or mother of God. And so despite all of these controversies, our early church fathers have worked out, they haven't yet explained it to us, <clears throat> that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Now some of you are looking at me going, that's awesome, Mike. Nice church history summary. But what does it mean to me? What does it mean to my faith? What does it mean to my daily walk that Jesus is fully human and fully divine? Here's what it means. It means that the God of the universe chose to climb into the womb of a woman 
to be born a human. Why? Not because he could, because he loves you. He wanted to redeem us. The God of the universe, the one who placed the stars in their place, the one who spoke things into existence, loved you so much that he put all of his godly powers behind, climbed into the womb of a woman and was born. A helpless child, dependent on milk from Mary for his very life. And God did this for you. Jesus is fully human. That means that Jesus had a name. No one in the history of the world is more appropriately named than Jesus. Jesus is the Hellenized, the Greek version of the Hebrew Yahshua, which means Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus was here to do. His name describes who he is and what he's here to do. And he had a name that was used just like yours. This is interesting to think about. Can you imagine Mary standing at the door? Jesus, it's time to come to eat. Dinner's ready. Just like your mother called you, his mother called him. In Jesus' humanness, he had a job. We read in Mark 6, 3 that he was a carpenter. He had a vocation. He wasn't until he was about 30 that he started his, his ministry. So, so Jesus had a job just like you. And his was a hard job. I mean, we, we see these pictures of, like, really pretty Jesus. Uh-uh. He would have had muscles. His hands would have been calloused. And, you know, I think myself a weekend carpenter, and my hands are scarred from just that. Imagine what a full-time carpenter working with hand tool looks like. Jesus' hands would have been rough and scarred. And yet these are the hands of God who healed, that were nailed to a cross and redeemed us all. In a fully human and divine Jesus, we have one person, one person in whom creation and redemption reside. Think about that. He was the only person that could redeem us. And with Jesus's, his death and his resurrection, he gave us a victory over sin and death one that we could never achieve ourselves. And what that means for us 
is that we're free of the guilt of our sin. It's forgiven, it's paid for. And here's the best part. You're free from fear of death. Because your death in this life is the beginning of a whole new adventure in the presence of God. We, we get to walk through our life not afraid of dying. Now, some of you may be like me, and you're a little worried about how you might die. But no matter how it ends, I know where I'm going. Because Jesus, a fully human and fully divine Jesus, has given us a victory over death. Fully human and fully divine Jesus bled on a cross. Human blood, he bled for you, for us, for the world, that we might be redeemed. Remember, it wasn't just the death. We serve a resurrected Lord, a Lord who has defeated death, and because he has done that, so have we. So what does a fully divine and fully human Jesus mean to you? Simply this, the God of the universe loved you enough to become one of us and die that you might live, that you might be forgiven, that you might be free from sin. Jesus was the one person in all the world that could pay that price for you. And he did it. That's what a fully human and fully divine Jesus means to us. Redemption. Freedom from sin and death. Let us pray. Gracious God, so much of our faith is a mystery. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that we don't understand exactly how it all works. We love that we serve a God that is so big that we can't really understand. But what we do know is that we are forgiven, we are made whole, and that we are free from fear of death. And that is enough. And we give you thanks for that. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be worthy of this gift that you have bestowed upon us without our asking. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus 
We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.